Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Network. My name is Chad Smeltzer. I am your host. Today's guest is Chris Lorraine, who is with Land Tech Consultants. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you because you are in 3D BIM technology, digital twin, uh, you know, with the way technology is going these days. Uh, but first, how did you get into just infrastructure and, and an engineering role? Well, we, um, we've been in business since 1990. Um, I started the company 33 years ago now. Wow. Um, and we were a uh, typical local mom and pop engineering and surveying company, um, mainly involved with uh, real estate development and private developers and so forth. And uh, with the recession, probably about 12, 13 years ago, um, we were looking for other revenue streams. And uh, we got into reality capture. We purchased a laser scanner, got into reality capture, got into modeling. Um, and it became evident to us quickly thereafter as engineers that the architectural community was utilizing BIM a lot. Yeah. But the engineering community wasn't utilizing it so much. Mm. Um, and being engineers, being involved in some infrastructure projects, water treatment plants, uh, you know, sewage treatment plants and so forth. Um, it became very evident to us that there was a better way to document the existing infrastructure in these facilities for renovation and expansion projects. Mm. Um, so we started to market our services towards the, the infrastructure world, uh, quickly caught on. And um, yeah, we uh, have, we're now all over the country documenting uh, Anything that has to do with infrastructure, water, wastewater, transportation, nice. power, telecommunications, you name it, uh, where they're documenting it and modeling it. And uh, probably about uh, five, six years ago, some of our clients on the water side uh, started asking, how can we take these models and, uh, and uh, provide further intelligence on them to help us with operations, maintenance and so forth. Um, integrate our, our uh, GIS databases, our asset management databases, and so forth. And uh, we started working on digital twins before digital twin was a keyword. Um, nice. And uh, we're picked up on pretty quick by uh, some of the, the big players in the industry, such as Esri and so forth. Um, we're highlighted by Esri. And um, we, we like to think that we are on the leading edge of digital twins and what digital twins really are and how they can be utilized in infrastructure. That's awesome. We're going to talk more about that, but I want to get a little bit into how you, uh, did you have a family history of like engineering? How did you get involved or want to be an engineer? Sure. My, uh, my dad was an electrical contractor and as a little kid, I always loved being around construction sites. Um, wasn't real cool with, with electricity, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, I, I got hung up a few times helping my dad on electrical sites, but uh, I, I always had a fascination with uh, with uh, construction sites and with heavy equipment and moving dirt and, and the, the simple things. And, um, you know, I, I realized that uh, to get into that industry, um, you know, my parents wanted me to go to college. I, I wanted to be the guy driving the bulldozer. But uh, my parents uh, wanted me to go to college and I realized to get in there, um, civil engineering was the way to go. And uh, yeah, got into the civil engineering side of things. I actually went down out of college, went to uh, Groton, Connecticut. My first job was working on Trident nuclear submarines um, in the nuclear compartment as a construction engineer. Oh, wow. Um, something I found after a couple of years really wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to be in construction, moving dirt. Um, and, uh, 
came back to uh, my birthplace here in Massachusetts and uh, shortly thereafter, probably about eight or nine years after uh, started my own company. Wow. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Did you ever get to drive the bulldozer or any heavy? No, I still have it. <laughs> still have it. Darn. <laughs> a backhoe a couple of times, but not a bulldozer. Have you? Okay. <laughs> nice. So nuclear, you said nuclear engineering, correct? It was something with nuclear engineering. So yeah. Were you on a submarine or did you ever get involved in? Okay. You were. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was in the field as a construction engineer, um, specializing in structural elements of, of, uh, uh, the reactor compartment of, of, uh, Trident submarines. Oh, wow. So it was, so actually it was, it was pretty cool. And it's something not a lot of people can say that they've been in the reactor compartment of a Trident nuclear submarine. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Of course that was, uh, probably 40 years ago now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, it, it was pretty amazing and I enjoyed my, my time there, but, um, nuclear just wasn't where I wanted my my profession to go <laughs> right being my career to go yeah no i get that I, it, especially working in those confined quarters i would imagine just tight spaces it's, it, i could i could imagine doing that um sure yeah so so you you're, you had a family history you were you know you you were always in construction sites and, and you've been involved in construction for such a long time where when you started a business did you have an idea how to run a business did, or you know where did you get that education from or being able to do that? No clue. Um, okay. <laughs> school of hard knocks. Um, hard knocks when like... I came back up from, from working on nuclear, um, I actually went to work for another civil engineer that uh, had just started up uh, his own company. Um, and essentially, I was the first employee uh, other than the president. And we grew that, that company to about 50 people over the course of uh, eight years. Um, and then the the recession of the late 80s, the real estate recession of the late 80s took its hold. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there were there were several companies that didn't make it through that. And um, that company that I was at that time vice president of didn't make it through. Mm. And, uh, you know, at that time, again, it was a difficult time for finding another job in this profession. And I said, well, you know, there's still some clients out there that need some work and and let me see what I can do. Um, and we started off and never looked back. That's a fantastic story. Wow. That, that, you talk about entrepreneurship right there. That, you know, just taking the customers that you potentially had and probably started with one or two, and then you grew this business. How many employees do you have now? I think you mentioned earlier. Right now we're about 20. 20. Okay. That's that's yeah. great. I mean, look, you're you're providing a, a great value too when you're talking about the digital twin and, and moving uh, in this technology world, uh, when you were designing projects using the old like blueprints and things like that, and now you're looking at the way things are with digital twins and BIM, like, what do you think about the, you know, the history there of the transition that's happening? You know, it's, it's, um, I often look back to even the days that I was in nuclear construction and, and, uh, I look back to some of the problems that we had in 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 uh, reactor compartments on the Trident submarines, and we'd be building multiple submarines at any particular time in various stages. And uh, my job was if there was a problem that came up in the field during construction, we'd be notified and we'd have to resolve what that problem was. Mm. And very often there would be a, a, a pipe hanger that would be welded to a bulkhead and uh, there was some other element that would interfere with where that pipe hanger was. Hmm. And this might be on the fourth or fifth submarine down the line. And you'd sit there and you'd say, well, what did we do for the first three submarines? Because we're just building the same thing time and time again. Right. Um, 
And you'd have to go back and you'd have to go through all the plans and look through all the documentation and so forth. And it would take days to resolve how to fix that particular issue and what we did previously. And I think about that and, and I look back now and I think, man, if we had a digital twin, if we had a 3D model of how that all went together back then, yeah. the, the problems that would have been avoided with conflicting items going into these particular, uh, you know, these particular structures. Right. And, you know, being able to look back and see what happened with, with previous, um, you know, submarines that were being put together, you know, it would have been invaluable to have that information. And I'm sure they do have that information and that's how they do it now. Right. But back then, 30, 40 years ago, um, we didn't have that. Right. And, and the, the time savings that can now be adapted by utilizing 3D is, is just, it's incredible. Yeah. No, you're yeah, having all that information at your fingertips is amazing. Yeah. You, it's a, it's, it's a new world out there. So some of the, what are some of the challenges you're being faced with though, uh, as far as adopting this technology within government agencies, for example? Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's, if part of it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of old school like myself. Um, and, and like I said, you know, we grew up in the blueprint age mm -hmm. and it's all 2d it's all on blueprints they're in file cabinets someplace and that's what we learned to read that's how we learned to build yeah. um to take 3d now if you don't have the mindset to be able to look at 3d and understand 3d you don't want to look at it you know it at you know the old school doesn't want to look at it a lot of times because they don't understand it that's not what they grew up in and they they're afraid of it they don't want to learn it. Um, it's not all that difficult. It comes together pretty quickly, and it's amazing when you see what it can do. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we run into that quite often. The other thing that we run into a lot is a lot of the infrastructure that we work with, obviously, is, is public infrastructure right. um, and, and, pro and public entities. And to get the funding to convince people that this is the way to go um, takes a while. You, you've got to stick with it and you've got to convince them of why they want to go with something along these lines and then find the funding to be able to do it. Right. Uh, those are common stepping stones that we hit all the time. But yet at the same time, we hear the same problems from all of our clients as to, you know, well, I really want to solve this, that and the other thing. And it's it's this is geared towards solving those issues. Right. So if you want to solve those issues, you've got to accept the technology that will do it and find the funding to to fund it yeah and that's the that's the challenge one of the biggest is the funding to do uh sure. this type of stuff but you would think that we would be saving money uh, because we're doing it digitally is isn't that one of the incentives that, that this would help the government agencies start looking at or is it just because there's you know don't want to change? absolutely yeah yeah absolutely this this helps them save money in the long term it's kind of like bim when bim first came out in the architectural world Nobody wanted to do BIM because it would cost you more money up front. You had to pay a significant amount of money to get that in a model. But the end game was that when you went to build it and you didn't have all those conflicts and you didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in change orders because all of your infrastructure was conflicting with, with each other when you went to build it, you know, that's where you made up that money. Mm -hmm. So you had to get that mindset that I've got to spend a few bucks up front to be able to save money in the end. It's the same type of thing with a digital twin. You've got to spend a few bucks now 
to integrate that, to, to develop that digital twin and integrate that digital twin in order to save money in the long run. Yeah. If you can save, there have been some studies that have been done that say, you know, a digital twin can save you or, or save each individual that interacts with the digital twin can save anywhere from two to four hours a day of their time by being able to have that information readily available. Well, take that's a lot. If you have six, eight people that interact with that digital twin on a daily basis, whether it be your facilities personnel, whether it be your operations personnel, whether it be your asset management personnel, if you've got six to eight people that are saving anywhere from two to four hours a day each, mm. multiply that times a year, and that adds up real quick. Yeah. Um, so what are the- and you have to accept that mentality and accept that. And 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 you know if you haven't worked with a digital twin maybe you don't see how that's going to occur yet. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, it takes a while for us to convince people that, you know, let's, let's give this a shot and let's see how you say that is a, a, a massive time saving in, in all aspects of building infrastructure. I, that's huge. So, so basically what we're getting at is like the traditional way of looking at blueprints and, and building infrastructure versus the time savings with digital twin or, you know, moving into that direction is it, tremendous. I mean, just from what you've said, wow. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot. We, well, you know, imagine, you know, nowadays in most of our infrastructure, our infrastructure is, is in most cases pretty old, right? Right. I mean, we've got, we've got water treatment plants, sewage treatment plants, power plants, 40 years old. Yeah. And they were done on blueprints that are put away in a file cabinet someplace. And chances are, if you know where those blueprints are and you pull those blueprints out, they were 40 years ago. They're not accurate anymore because changes have gone on. So, you know, my favorite use for those things is to start my fireplace. Um, if you don't have accurate information to begin with, yeah. and if you have to find that in a file cabinet, and let's say, you know, you've, you've got a, you know, a pump that's out in one of your, one of your treatment plants, yeah. um, and you need to find that pump and you need to repair it or you need to replace it. First, you got to go find the blueprints as to, well, where is that pump? Then you've got to find it in this maze of, of infrastructure and pipes that are laid one on top of another and valves and so forth. Um, you've got to find that. Then you have to find the documentation of, you know, how to fix that pump or how to replace that pump and so forth. It's in a file cabinet someplace, or maybe you have it in a, in a digital file that's on a spreadsheet. doesn't tell you where that pump is. doesn't show you how to get there. If you can take all of that information and you can put it on a laptop or you can put it on a tablet. Yeah. And you can give it to a service technician yeah. and direct them as to exactly where that particular asset is. And they get to that asset and everything they need regarding that asset and how to repair it or replace it is right there on the tablet that's on their hand when they're standing in the plant looking at it. Yeah. And that's a huge time savings. Big time. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you, you don't have to rely on plans that are old and outdated any longer. Yeah, that's uh, spot on. Wow, Chris. So I guess uh, to kind of step back, how do we create a digital twin? You, you know, that would be a good place to educate like the audience. Laser scanning, right? Is that a good way to start developing a laser, you know, digital twin? Sure. Well, you know, if you if you if you ask 10 different people what a digital twin is, you're going to get 10 different <laughs> definitions of what a digital twin is. OK. And and I guess in the in the basic the most basic meaning of the term digital twin, um, you know, if, if you have something that you can monitor or operate digitally, um, you know, on your on your computer, um, 
that's a digital twin. You know, somebody once told me that, you know, well, if I have a, an old set of plans and I scan them in and make a PDF and I have them on my computer so that I can access those plans on my computer, well, that's a digital twin of my facility. Mm -hmm. I suppose in the most basic meaning of the term, maybe that is. In our definition, um, a digital twin has to have a working visual element to it uh, that's populated with the data that you need to operate, maintain, control that particular facility. Mm. So what we like to do is if you already have a building information model for a particular, um, a, a particular structure, a particular asset, because it's relatively newly constructed, fine, let's take that building information model, let's build upon it, and let's turn it into an intelligent digital twin. If you don't have it, we take our laser scanners, we go in and laser scan, we create that model for you. Mm. Then we take that model and we integrate it into various other, various other platforms um, so that you can readily access it and readily get data off of it. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, we like to integrate the software that our clients may already have in place. If they have um, an asset management system, let's use the asset management system you have. Let's not reinvent the wheel by telling you you have to get a new asset management system. No, that doesn't work. Right. Let's use what you already have, what you already are used to using. If you have a work order system, let's use what you already have. Um, if you have skater in your particular plant, let's use the skater that you already have. So we like to take the elements that you already have, that you're already used to working with, integrate those into the digital twin. So now you've got a 3D model that has all this asset information in it, and yeah. it's attributed to each individual asset within the model, and it's readily available in the office as well as in the field. Yeah, that's. Uh, it seems like everyone should be using this technology, and then uh, <laughs> we just we're not quick adapters to do this as we previously discussed. But uh, it, it, I guess to kind of understand a little bit more, it, it, so when a laser scan is happening on a like a building, right? You, you I, I envision this uh, piece of equipment, you go in and start scanning the internal or is it outside? You do yeah. both. We do both. Okay. Yeah. I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself by explaining the whole process. So, yeah. <laughs> with, with, sure. With, with laser scanning. So there's a few different ways to laser scan. We have various pieces of equipment depending upon, you know, what the particular project is. Um, but a laser scanner uh, rotates continuously as you move. It collects data. Um, everything that you see, it sees, um, and it essentially maps it in a 3D pattern. Hmm. So you create millions, sometimes billions of data points when you laser scan a, a particular structure. Um, and each one of those points has an XYZ coordinate on it. Now, they're dumb points. They have an XYZ coordinate point on it. It can't tell you whether it's a floor or ceiling, a light fixture or what it is, okay. but it paints a digital picture of everything that's there to very accurate dimensions. Hmm. Um, once we have that point cloud of these millions of points throughout your particular facility, then we can take it and then we bring it into various software platforms and probably the most popular is Revit. Okay. Um, and we'll bring it into Revit and we'll create a 3D model and from, from that point cloud. And each model contains sometimes thousands, tens of thousands of elements within the model that make up each of the individual assets within the facility. That's that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, you're talking because I, I talked to my buddy who's in construction. He does HVAC ductwork installs, and he complains about you know the 
when the engineering design specs come out and he's looking at these specs, he's trying to like fit something into a certain place. He said it doesn't fit, like it never fits. But when they start looking at the digital twin side of like the images, they can actually, it helps them measure correctly where to put the right ductwork and stuff. He was, he was mentioning that a lot. So it, it seems like it, I'm just surprised that more people aren't, you know, using this technology as a quick way to, to understand more about the infrastructure. It's, it's sure it's, it's gaining in popularity a yeah. lot. Um, and, and, you know, it will continue to gain in popularity. The field continues to grow. Yeah. But um, yeah, as, as you see it, as you work with it, you know, then it becomes much more obvious as to, well, why haven't we been using this before? Right. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to think that, you know, it's, it's cost prohibitive. It really isn't. Mm. The, uh, the equipment and the technology um, has become faster uh, over the, the 12, 13 years that we've been involved with it. Um, much more efficient, yeah. um, much cheaper equipment. Um, and, and it just, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing technology. It doesn't cost nearly as much as most people think. So it doesn't go through the, you mentioned some about the floor and the ceiling. It doesn't go through those, does it? Does not. It doesn't, okay. doesn't see through walls, doesn't see through the floors and ceilings. Okay. If we have a structure that's multiple floors, um, we tie them together. Uh, and, and again, depending upon how it is, there's various ways that we tie it together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we are a, a conventional survey company as well. So we understand the science behind it, mm -hmm. um, and how to tie point clouds together over long runs or multiple floors or so forth. And generally that involves running conventional survey to control to make sure that it's accurately, accurately put together and represented. Oh, wow. um, okay. Some of the problems that, you know, we have heard from people in the past is, um, you know, that there are, uh, you know, probably not a lot, but there are some providers out there that somebody saw this and thought it was a really cool technology and, and went out and bought a laser scanner and started marketing their services without really understanding the science behind it Oof. and how it all needs to come together to accurately reflect what's there. Right. Um, and, and they have provided substandard um, results to some clients and, and has soured people on the use of laser scanning. Uh, it's not that laser scanning is not a very precise and very accurate technology. It's all about anything else. It's, it's how you use it yeah. and, and how you develop it. And if you use it the way it's intended to be used and you control it the way that you need to control it, you get an extremely accurate um, result from it. Yeah. It, it, the, the point cloud, is it, is it like light reflective or is it just the laser? I mean, because there is camera systems that I've been experienced with, with those light reflective point clouds, right? It creates that manhole 3D image, like the sure. panorama cameras and stuff. Is there a difference there? Yeah, there, there, I mean, there are different types of point clouds. Um, you know, we, we generate again for what we do, we generate our point clouds through laser scanning. Okay. Um, and there are various laser scanners that have various levels of accuracy on them. We use survey grade laser scanners um, from a very well-known survey company, survey equipment company. Mm -hmm. um, and our scans are generally accurate to within two to four millimeters. Wow. So, you know, you're talking something that's, that's <laughs> extremely accurate to plus or minus an eighth of an inch in most cases. Yeah. Um, you can also generate a point cloud just from photogrammetry. Um, right. and, and there are ways to do that over small areas generally. 
Although you can also do it utilizing drones. We have drones, we fly drones and, and we'll utilize photogrammetry sometimes. Um, but we always tie it to survey control on the ground. Mm. Um, but from photogrammetry, you can be easily uh, 10 centimeters or more you know, from accuracy. You can be off by feet utilizing photogrammetry. Got it. But it's all utilizing the best tool for the job, yeah. like anything else. Yeah. Um, if you don't care if you're off, you know, by a foot or a couple of feet, you know, sometimes that'll work for you. Yeah. Uh, but if you want something that's extremely accurate, you know, you'll go to laser scanning. It all depends upon what the job is as to what tool you want to use and how accurate the point cloud is that's generated from it. Wow. I, that's great information to to learn about because hey, I think everyone's trying to figure out what's the difference. And, and that's, that's a great explanation. Kind of pivoting a little bit, uh, I'm going to go to like the labor force and labor shortages and all this stuff with infrastructure. What's been your interpretation of what's happening out there, Chris? Like anybody, um, you know, we have our own problems in attracting, you know, qualified personnel. Uh, you know, I think through most of industry, uh, we hear it from our clients all the time. You know, it's, it's a shrinking workforce in an aging workforce. Mm. And one of the most common problems that our clients come to us looking to solve is, is how do we address that? Um, you know, our labor force is, is getting older. You know, we have individuals that have been working in a particular industry or for a particular, uh, particular, um, entity for 20, 30 years, and they're getting ready to retire and they're taking all that knowledge with them. How do we take that knowledge and transfer it to a younger workforce? How do we uh, attract a, a narrowing labor pool in, in that younger workforce? And essentially, how do we do more with less? Um, right. You know, this is digital twins if they're used properly is a perfect solution to that. Yeah. Um, because not only can you get more done with less, um, but you're also providing it in a technology that attracts a younger workforce. Right. You know, you're not trying to attract a young workforce and say, you know, go on those old dusty file cabinets that are down in the basement and see if you can find those plans from 30 years ago. And there should be a folder down there too, that says how to repair this, this, you know, this, uh, pump or, or what have you. Yeah. Uh, you know, see if you can dig that up and, and, you know, they're lost as to, right. you know, really, yeah, I've got to go down. I've got to search through boxes and see if I can find this stuff as opposed to the younger generation all grew up in the digital world. They all grew up with, with, you know, 3d games and, and so forth. They all grew up with everybody's growing up now with cell phones and, and, you know, running my life off of cell phone, give them that digital interface that they're used to working with that they can zoom around in 3D yeah. and say, hey, I can find everything I need with this technology that you're using now. Yeah, That's going to be much more attractive to getting that shrinking labor pool into work for you than saying, you know, yeah, there's nothing that's, uh, you know, real sexy about this job. You're going to have to, you know, search for those plans down in the dungeon and, you know, don't let the cobwebs bother yeah. you when you go down. Yeah, you're, you're talking about frustrating, uh, a, a, you know, a young engineer right getting into that and if sure. you're still doing the old ways of doing things they're going to get discouraged they're going to be like this is just a waste of my time and they're just not going to stick around you're, you're exactly right with this stuff that's and you you said before that you know i i grew up my profession you know or my career started with the you know the blueprints and the file cabinets yeah. and so forth and and 
you know, from an engineering perspective, engineering companies have changed and engineering companies have adapted. And, and we all work on computers now, right? Right. Um, you know, back when I started, no, you didn't work on computers, not on a desktop anyway. There weren't any desktops. Right. Um, but some of these infrastructure, some of the infrastructure we still deal with and, and some of the companies that we still deal with are similar to that in that they're dealing with paper elements. They're dealing with paper plans, paper manuals. Um, That's crazy. Even today, when when we construct something, a lot of construction companies, when we construct something and we get to that point where we're finished constructing, we go to handover, you know, they hand over a stack of documents that's like this. And, you know, your, your facility is completed. Here you go. Here's all your documents on, on everything that's in there. Why are you handing over a stack of documents that nobody's ever going to look at? And they're going to go in a file cabinet someplace or in the corner of somebody's desk, uh, somebody's office. Yeah. And have no real value um, to most of what's going on. Yeah. Hand it over in a portable hard drive. Hand it over in something that's digital that people can access and find what they need quickly and readily. Yeah. You know, what's amazing is, is cities, uh, some cities, not a lot, hopefully not, but they're still using file cabinets. And sure. I, I, I still am baffled by this. And maybe it's a cybersecurity thing. I don't know. They don't want to have stuff on digital, digitized, but it's it's amazing what's still happening out there in, in government. I'm not going to lie. We still have some in, in our <laughs> office here as well. Right. But, you know, we have, we have flat files of, of plans. Like I said, we've been around for 33 right. years. So, so I've got flat files of plans right. that, that were developed over that course of time. But you won't find a plan in there that's been generated within the last 15 years. Um, you know, those are all on on disk or on hard drive someplace or yeah. they're not, you know, they're not actual paper copies any longer. Right. Um, it's all digital. Yeah, that's that's really I mean, that's the path. That's the future. It's got to happen or sure. we're just going to be stuck in the stone ages, so to speak, paper ages, whatever you want to call it, and uh, not advancing our, our infrastructure if we don't change the way we're doing things, the way it sounds to digitize this stuff and, and move to digital twin technologies. I, I think that there's uh, there's definitely a disconnect on the government side uh, with their some of the operators and stuff and this tech and, and some of the engineers just not understanding the true benefits of this. So how do we how do we get this information out to people, do you think would be better? You know, I think uh, we attend, you know, I speak at a lot of, of presentations with, you know, seminars and, in, in, um, you know, annual events and so forth. Um, you know, we're constantly meeting with people and, and showing them what we do um, and, you know, doing pilot projects and so that they can understand how it's going to work in their particular environment. You don't have to invest in your entire facility. Um, you know, we recommend that people invest in just a small, you know, if, again, if we're in the water and wastewater side, we usually say, hey, let's take a pump station someplace. Let's not do your entire plant right off the bat. Yeah. Let's take a pump station and, you know, something that we can get in there relatively inexpensively, create the digital twin for you and show you the value of it in your particular instance. Um, usually when we do that, 95% of the time they're sold and they move on to expanding it within their particular facility. Nice. But, um, you know, we, we've got to start somewhere. I, I was at a, a uh, speaking engagement a couple of weeks ago in New York City. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the best examples that I heard was from a colleague that was making a, a presentation as well. Um, and she said, you know, look, we all use it in our houses. We don't use it at work, but we all use it in our houses. We all have Nest thermostats. 
or, or something along those lines. And we all have it on our cell phone and we call it up on our cell phone and we adjust the temperature on our house. Um, I have it at my house. And, you know, if I go away for the weekend and the temperature, the power goes out and the temperature drops below a certain, uh, a certain temperature, right. I'm alerted to it. Yeah. Um, it's my, my digital twin of my house that's in my pocket on my cell phone that I use for everything. Yeah. Somebody comes to my house and they trigger, you know, my ring doorbell, I'm alerted to it and I can see who's there and I can talk to them. Right. Um, all of our appliances nowadays, they're all, you know, you can control them all through Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, you know, we listen to our phone and, and you know, we, we listen to our music and we spread that through the house, through our wireless speakers yeah. on Wi-Fi. You know, we come in and tell Alexa to turn the lights on. We use it at home every day, yeah. but we don't use it in our infrastructure. We don't use it in our facilities. Why? Yeah. Well, we all know what it can do. Yeah. That's a, uh, wow, great examples uh, of what, what we're using at home versus what we're doing in infrastructure. Uh, Chris, we're running out of time and I, you know, I'm sure we could talk a lot longer about this, but uh, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach out? Um, sure. Um, you know, they can, they can, uh, landtechinc.com, um, L-A-N-D-T-E-C-H-I-N-C.com is our website. Um, you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn uh, at any time. Um, shoot me an email at clorraine at lantechinc.com. I'd be happy to, to speak to anyone about, you know, what they're looking at and how they can make things easier and how they can improve their particular situation. Well, Chris, you're truly an innovator uh, for, you know, your age and your experience and then you know, going into this digital world now and, and being an uh, advocate for, you know, moving forward. Uh, thank you, man. Uh, we need more of that. Uh, we really do. It's just, it's struggle. <laughs> it's really, it. sure. no, it's, it's, you know, and it's the way of the future. I mean, it's not getting any easier. No. And, and we have to do something. We have to, we have to accept technology and we have to move on with technology and technology can help us if we give it a chance Yeah. and, uh, you know, give it the chance, yeah. see what it can do for you. Just uh, we, like I said, we meet multiple times a week with uh, entities, usually have a one hour Teams call or something along those lines. Show them a slide deck of what it is that we do. Go through a live example. You can show anything on a slide deck, right? I don't like yeah. to do too many slides. I like to do a live example so that you can see, no, it really does work. Right. And it really moves pretty quick and it's really pretty easy. Yeah, uh, We do it all the time and uh, happy to uh, talk to anybody. And, Show them what we do. Yeah, I'd love to jump on one of those someday. If you want to invite me, that'd be awesome. I'd love to promote that or at least show people. Uh, I'd love to yeah. love to show you. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do that. And uh, like I said, we've got a we also have a YouTube channel, um, LTC three D. We post a lot of stuff on that about what we're doing and love it. And uh, you know how digital twins can be incorporated. Um, but yeah. Love to show you firsthand and uh, anybody else that might be interested. Fantastic. Thanks, Chris, for being here on the show and you have a great day. Thanks, Chad. You too. Bye-bye.